0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Safety Matters, the podcast for food safety professionals. I'm Stacey Atchison, publisher of Food Safety Magazine, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adrian Bloom, editorial director of the magazine, and Bob Ferguson, president of Strategic Consulting. So, welcome back, team. Hi, Stacey. Howdy. Yeah. Howdy. <laughs> Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. See, I already got to tell everybody Happy New Year last time when y'all were, you That's know, right. off having fun and stuff, so... As long as it's January, I still love wishing everybody Happy New Year till the end of January. Yeah, so. I, was, I was
1: laying out in sunny Pennsylvania in January. That's what I was doing. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, just like Adrian. And right. Where was that? Oh, no. uh, the Caribbean. Yeah, okay. it was horrible. See? Almost the same <laughs> it was weather. <laughs> All right. So for today's interview, Adrian speaks with two food safety and quality experts with Fresh Express, John Garisi, Vice President Food Safety and Quality, and Herman Rios, Senior Director of Food Safety and Quality. So we reached out to Fresh Express after seeing their food safety and quality video series. You know, it really caught our eye because You don't see many food companies messaging directly to consumers about their food safety programs. So uh, when we reached out, lucky for us, they agreed to join us on the podcast.
2: Yeah, we're going to hear some really interesting stuff from John and Herman about Fresh Express's food safety and quality program and how they work with their growers to verify testing and ensure FSQ and capture tracing information. So I think it's a pretty insightful discussion, and we also recommend checking out that Fresh Express video series on YouTube, if you haven't already, to learn more about that.
0: Okay, and we'll get to that right after the news, but before the news, I want to remind you that registration is now open for the Food Safety Summit Conference, produced by Food Safety Magazine, being held May 8th through the 11th in Rosemont, Illinois, And because we like to take good care of our dedicated podcast listeners, we have once again secured a very special discount code that will get you an extra 10% off whatever the going rate is, which for now means 10% off the early bird rates. There was a super early bird, but if you were super, super early bird, anyway, that one's passed, but the early bird is still there. Check out the agenda by visiting foodsafetysummit.com and then use the discount code FSM23podcast to save 10%. Again, that's FSM23podcast, and we sure hope to see you there. Uh, And don't forget, we have a great offer for groups so you can bring your whole team, as quite a few people do. And now it's time for some news.
2: Yeah. So moving on to the news. So in our news lineup today, we want to first discuss FDA's release of the 2022 version of the Food Code, which came out at the very end of December. Now, as many of you know, the Food Code provides guidance for states and localities to help retail food service operations mitigate foodborne illness outbreaks by providing a set of national standards for retail food safety. Now, this is voluntary. Of course, it's not federal law, but we think the Food Code is obviously very good guidance to follow. Now, the main changes in the 2022 Food Code include the addition of sesame as the ninth major allergen and also adding labeling and additional consumer information for major allergens for unpackaged and self-dispensed food items. It also revises the definition of intact meat to include meats that are vacuum-tumbled with solutions, and it clarifies the time and temperature cooking requirements for these meats. The 2022 code also creates new requirements for the allowance of pet dogs in outdoor dining spaces, and it addresses safe protocols for food that's intended to be used for food donations. And one more thing it does is lowers the required water temperature for hand-washing sinks. So this year marks the 30th anniversary of the food code, which has been adopted by 49 states in some form. California is the only state that uses its own code.
0: Of course we do.
2: Uh, Yes, of course you do. (laughs) Now, as of the end of 2021, 18 states were using the 2017 version of the food code, and 16 states were using the 2013 version. 15 other states, plus the District of Columbia, were using food code versions from 2009 or older, and it's hoped that the release of the 2022 version will bring more states on board with the updated version.
1: I like the fact that they've updated the food code. There's a lot of things in here that they changed that were um, edits and things like that, updating a lot of sort of what I would call housekeeping. I liked very much the fact that they lowered the hand washing temperature. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. misconception that the hotter water is somehow cleaner or antimicrobial. Believe me, the temperature of water that's antimicrobial, you're not washing your hands with. Boiling water (laughs) doesn't help anybody. But lowering the temperature makes people more likely to wash their hands because it's a comfortable temperature instead of something super hot. So that's mm-hmm. that's great.
0: But it's all about the soap. <laughs> it's all about the soap
1: and it's all about the time. Yeah, that's right. And the time. That's yeah. right, yeah. I also like the fact that they updated that where you're allowed to have dogs in outdoor dining. And I looked up and 19 states allow dogs in outdoor dining area. And so they've updated that in the food code. So maybe other people will adopt that as well.
0: Well, I don't know. I I was actually surprised to know that it wasn't a mandatory thing. (laughs) So I was like, well, yes, we have a food code. There's something called a national food code, and (laughs) it's adopted nationally. And I look at this and go, oh, well, no, it's not. So that was was a little bit surprising to me. Um, But apparently, too, this is... Also put some pressure back on retailers, which relates back to uh, that MOU that we uh, mentioned earlier this year between FDA and CDC, um, that uh, is the Retail Food Safety Association Collaboration Agreement.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we've definitely seen more of a focus on retail food safety from FDA recently. And another thing that we're excited about is that we're actually going to be speaking with FDA uh, later in the year about the 30th anniversary of the food code. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more details soon on (laughs) that upcoming discussion. Apparently I need to
0: tune into that so that I can know what's actually
2: going (laughs) on. So next in our news lineup for this episode, we found an interesting study that we wanted to share with you. It's out of the Universities of Campania and Salerno, and it shows the effectiveness of a novel organic acid compound against common foodborne pathogens and biofilm.
1: Drum roll, please, for this pronunciation. Here we go. All right, we're
2: going to try this here. (laughs) The compound is called tetrapotassium immunodisacinic acid salt. Thank you. Please clap. Um, there you go. That's pretty
0: good. Or
2: IDSK, which is much easier to uh, to say. Now, in the lab, the IDSK samples were shown to be effective against Salmonella enterica by sixty six percent, by fifty five percent against E. coli, and against Pseudomonas aeruginosa by fifty one percent. Now. IDSK was also 89% effective against staphylococcus aureus and 75% effective against enterococcus faecalis. Now the compound was also shown to be effective, though at slightly lower levels, against biofilms of these pathogens. And overall, the researchers concluded that IDSK showed efficient antibacterial activity against gram-positive and gram-negative strains, suggesting that IDSK, which is a stable, biodegradable, and environmentally friendly compound, could be a potential promising disinfectant for the food industry.
1: Well, I I think these type of antimicrobial compounds and and packaging and things like that, we've talked before about this being the future for a lot of this to improve shelf life and to improve uh, food life. And in fact, in podcast 111, one year ago, pretty close to one year ago today, about one year ago now, we spoke to Phil Demokradu, who's a professor from Harvard and Rutgers, who had been working on a biodegradable packaging made from starch which include thyme and citric acid in there as an antimicrobial, but also biodegradable plastic, I guess you could call it plastic, biodegradable um, packaging. So this is the type of thing I think that's going to be much more common. And I had a chance to talk to Phil a little bit about that last year, we discussed it on the podcast, but these are the type of things, as as well as it being biodegradable, I think you're gonna see a lot more of.
0: Well, anything in the fight for sustainability, less environmental impact, Fighting those biofilms—it's certainly welcome. So we we love being able to bring you guys all uh, all this new research as it comes out and see what comes to fruition. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, and you know, kind of continuing with that theme of sustainability. Uh, Another scientifically interesting bit of news we'd like to share comes from the European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, which recently determined that the safety of polyethylene terephthalate, or PET, is sufficient for use in food contact materials when produced by a process called polyrecycling. So in the process, PET flakes are collected from post-consumer non-food containers that include no more than 5% PET And then they're washed and dried and heated in a reactor before being extruded. Now, the EFSA panel on food contact materials, enzymes, and processing aids conducted a risk assessment on the food safety of PET produced by the polyrecycling process and found that the high temperatures, pressures, and time used in the process discount the possibility of contamination by microorganisms. The process also reduces the possibility of accidental contamination of post-consumer food contact PET. Now, EFSA does recommend that periodic verification be completed for the input materials to ensure that they originate from articles that have been manufactured in accordance with EU regulations for food contact materials and that the proportion of PET is no more than 5% and comes from non-food materials. But it looks to be a promising recycling technology for the reuse of PET in the food industry.
1: So I mentioned a second ago that we know an expert in this field, Dr. Phil DeMokadu from both Rutgers and Harvard, and I got a hold of him right before we recorded, and he said he's aware of the EFSA decision and the safety of uh, recycled PET in food packaging. Um, His comment was, recycling and reuse are good, but I'm going to read part of his comment. He said, however, this decision does not address... The emerging crisis issue related to plastics, the so-called microplastics, which are the byproduct of the environmental degradation of plastics, including PET over the years. And now I'll paraphrase it, but he goes, you know, these fragments are throughout the environment. And really what you want to get to is away from plastics, away from recycled plastics, although they're better than virgin plastics, but getting to something more like what I described Mm -hmm. they were working on, which is a starch-based biodegradable packaging Not just recycling plastic. So, not the recycled plastics versus not recycled, but move right past that and get to something biodegradable.
0: Yeah, I guess that was going to be my only comment too. Is that um, you know certainly it's good to recycle, if we do. The problem is we don't. Uh, The stat is that we're recycling nine percent of plastics of plastic waste globally, Um, and that here's the stat that twenty two percent are quote mismanaged which means that they're just litter or they're, you know, who knows what. Um, but I think that Phils, I would just agree with that. I think that, you know, clearly we're not doing a good job here. Um, <laughs> uh, but if there is a way to reclaim some of the plastics and reuse stuff that isn't currently being uh, recycled, that's, that's certainly good news. We just have a lot of work to do here. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Agreed. So You may find
1: this interesting. He ended his email by saying he has a few research projects in the lab, in his center, um, including a new grant from USDA, which focuses on micro nanoplastics. So oh. maybe we'll hear from Phil again pretty soon. This is a hot topic. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Sounds like somebody we need to talk to further. Yeah, it definitely right. is. Thanks, Bob, for talking to Phil and getting those comments for us. So now, before we go, we have a couple of quick updates to share with you. Now, first, in case you didn't yet Hear the news, possibly living under a rock.
0: Um, the,
2: <laughs> the Senate. Which I sometimes do,
0: so, you know,
2: it's cozy. Hey, it's you cozy don't like my there. rock? Yeah, it's a nice place. So the Senate has finally voted to confirm Dr. Jose Emilio Esteban as USDA Undersecretary of Food Safety on December 23rd of last year. Now, we've been waiting a while for confirmation of President Biden's 2021 nomination of Dr. Esteban, who has a wealth of experience at FSIS, the CDC, the Codex Alimentarius Commission, and in food safety and epidemiology. So that is a bit of good news. We also heard some updates recently from the Closer to Zero initiative, which FDA, USDA, and other federal agencies are involved in. Now, USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture, or NEFA, funded a workshop last April that identified several crucial working areas for reducing public exposure to toxic metals in the food supply. Now, a report summarizing the conclusions of that workshop was just recently released. These crucial working areas include more research, education, key issues and opportunities around soil chemistry, soil changes, and microbiome interactions with toxic elements and also plant uptake and accumulation of toxic elements the workshop also recommended the pursuit of multidisciplinary concerns such as food processing detection and sensors and metals interference with nutrition also the workshop participants suggested that a funding mechanism should be established within nefa to enable transdisciplinary research of toxic metals contamination of food along with greater collaboration among industry, government, and academia on this issue to address the problem at a systems level.
0: Well, thanks, Adrian. That's actually a nice follow up from our, you know, end of year episode too, where we were talking about, you know, heavy metals uh, in foods and baby foods, and that there's movement on on all of that. Um, so, thanks again for 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 a great news section. And as always, we will be providing links to all the stories that we've uh, covered in our show notes. And, you know, I always like to remind you to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Just search for Food Safety Magazine. And to take a deeper dive and maybe subscribe to some of our uh, products, um, visit our website, food-safety.com. What was that? Was it food-safety.com? food Food-safety. Bob, you had nothing on there. You were nowhere in Come on, there. on, Bob.
1: I'm just focused on the dash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's just dashing about over there, right?
1: I'm dash, dash, I no, want dash dancer. Remember
0: the dash? Yeah, you got to have that dash. Have well, dash. actually, it is pretty important. It won't work without the dash. Right,
1: doesn't work without the dash. <laughs> need it
0: dash. Yeah, the need dash. It doesn't. Don't forget the dash. Okay.
1: We're getting T-shirts right. that say that for the summit.
0: Yeah, food dash. Right. doesn't
1: work <laughs> on the back. It'll say doesn't work without the dash. Yeah. That's right.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Buy one. Today. Okay, now it's time for Adria's interview. With John Garusi and Herman Rios from Fresh Express. John Garusi is Vice President of Food Safety and Quality at Fresh Express, where he has broad food safety responsibility for growing manufacturing, new product assessment, customer collaboration, supplier management, and regulatory compliance. He leads a multidisciplinary food safety and quality team covering the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and directs a multimillion-dollar implementation and investment budget. John holds numerous industry-critical food safety certifications and has contributed his technical expertise to wide-ranging industry initiatives. He serves as an active contributor to the Center for Produce Safety's Technical Committee and the International Fresh Produce Association's Food Safety Council and is past vice chair and executive board member of the Conference for Food Protection. Prior to joining Fresh Express, John led global fresh produce food safety and quality initiatives for Darden Restaurants, a premier full-service dining company with over 1,800 locations worldwide. Herman Rios is the Senior Director of Food Safety and Quality for Fresh Express, where he's responsible for food safety and quality assurance in growing, manufacturing, new product development, and customer collaboration. He also manages the Fresh Express Raw Partner Product Program and Ingredient Suppliers, which encompass the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Hermann graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo with a Crop Science Degree. And now, here's the interview. Well,
2: I am here today with John Garisi, Vice President, Food Safety and Quality for Fresh Express, and also Herman Rios, Senior Director of Food Safety and Quality for Fresh Express. So it is so great to have both of you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Hi, Adrian. This is
4: John. Thank you very much for having us. Hi, Adrian. This is Herman. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
2: Great, now I know that at Fresh Express, you evaluate your growers before you partner with them. And then you check back with them throughout the growing cycle through audits and visits and other assessments. So I'm curious, what kinds of technical verification do you perform during these different assessments?
3: Well, Adrian, we are fortunate to partner with several high quality growers who actually also have their own food safety teams. And in addition, we also have our own food safety team, our boots in the field team that really are out in the fields each and every day. And they're working alongside with our grower partners. And they also make sure that uh, they're following the the proper good agricultural practices. And they conduct um, several different types of audits. And just to name a few, uh, one of them is the grower ranch assessment. Uh, another one is a harvester uh, sanitation audit. We also have a harvester operations audit. And we au- actually also have a porta potty audit as well to make sure that those porta potties in the fields are kept clean and maintained properly. Uh, as an example of the grower ranch assessment, because that's probably one of our main main auditing um. Uh, functions is several of the the programs that we look at specifically within that assessment is one is the type of water that is being used, the type of irrigation that is being used. We look at adjacent lands and are there any hazards or potential hazards from adjacent lands such as cattle, animals, uh, foreign materials, etc. And then we also look at soil amendments and how they're being used and what they are mitigations that are used to keep animals out whether it be fencing or traps or sound devices and then we also look closely at pesticide usage to make sure they're following uh, proper procedures and labels and then also take a close look at the restroom facilities as well.
2: Well that sounds like a very thorough uh, program and uh, really interesting stuff there so thank you for explaining that John. Now my next question for you guys is about your food safety and quality video series on YouTube that offers a behind the scenes look at Fresh Express's food safety and quality program. It covers critical controls and procedures along the entire supply chain from field to table. And I've watched the entire series, it's really enlightening, very interesting and very well put together. So um, really cool look inside the operations. So in one of those videos in the series, uh, it discusses the food safety training and continuing education that new and existing Fresh Express employees receive at the Fresh Express University. I love that title. So I know that you have supervisors in place who monitor employee procedures. So I'm curious what points in the operation do your supervisors monitor? And you know, do they do this in person, remotely, or do you have a combination of both? And you know, how does the chain of command work if a line employee does detect a problem?
3: Yeah, thank you for the compliment on the uh, on the video series and yes, we have supervisors and specialists monitoring quality and food safety from the fields all the way through our our coolers and through our processing plants all the way to the shipping dock. I'd say today the majority of the supervising is done with our boots on the ground approach again. However, Fresh Express, uh, we have taken FDA's new era of smarter food safety initiative to heart. You know, so much so that currently... um, we are hard at work in a few of its core elements, and one of these core elements is smarter tools. Uh, Fresh Express is moving uh, to a quality and food safety electronic data collection platform where our corporate quality and food safety managers will be notified every time there's a deviation to our quality and food safety standards, and this is really all about automating all of the data points that we collect throughout our system whether it be in the egg ops area and uh, in, in the fields going all the way to our processing plants there's we have many forms and many checks and uh, we are transitioning from a manual system to this automated system so we will certainly gain um, much better uh, data it'll be more accurate and it'll be readily available for audits, as well as be able to really utilize the data to help us tell it, tell us and be proactive with food safety and what trends are developing. So that if there is a um, an unfavorable trend, that we can address it immediately before it becomes a
4: problem. Yeah, John, I'm I'm not sure if you want to add a little bit more about uh, the Master Pack verification system, or would you like me to take that off?
3: No, that's fine. I can I can handle that one, Herman. So, another example of using the smarter smarter tools is, as Herman mentioned, is the Master Pack verification system. The Master Pack verification system um, helps us prevent any allergen related recalls. And in the past, uh, we've had to ha- had to conduct a few recalls for having the wrong Master Pack, which contains the condiments for a salad, which are very popular nowadays. Um, they also contain allergens, and sometimes those master packs end up going into the wrong uh, bag, and so the declaration on the allergen statement is incorrect. When that happens, obviously there's a uh, significant public health risk, but also too uh, we that will necessitate a recall. So to avoid that, uh, we implemented a camera. Uh, system that reads each and every master pack as it's being dropped into the bagger that goes directly into a salad bag. There's also a camera at the bottom reading the uh, 2D code that is on the, the packaging film, and it must match the 2D code that is on the master pack. If those two don't match, then the system quickly shuts down, and then QA has to come over, um, do an evaluation, do an assessment, um, remove any of the incorrect master packs, ensure that the right master pack is going in, uh, and QA is the only approved um, department that can then uh, release that machine and turn it back on. So it's really, it's really paid a lot of dividends to us in avoiding uh, master, uh, master pack-related um, allergen recalls.
2: Really interesting. And, you know, that sounds like an incredible traceability effort. And, you know, at the time of recording this interview, I know we're all looking forward to the release of uh, FISMA 204 soon here. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously traceability is on everybody's minds at this point. So uh, really, really interesting. Now, you also talk in the series about establishing a HACCP plan through a cross-functional corporate team to better organize the more than 50 quality checks that are performed on Fresh Express products and to ensure food safety and quality. So my question is, how have you evolved and perfected that HACCP program since its introduction? And how do you communicate knowledge about HACCP to employees?
4: Adrian here at, uh, at Fresh Express, um, our HACCP plan is in a continuous state of, of evolution, right? So I, I don't know if I would go as far as saying it as it's, uh, if it's perfect, uh, I, I think the no food safety program is, is, is ever perfect. And if you do believe that it's uh, perfect, I, I think you need to do a little bit more digging and, and taking a closer look at that food safety program. I mean, there's always uh, so much new information coming in that we, you know, we must evaluate um, at the same time, there's there's a lot of new technology coming in, so we're starting to get a lot more better information, better quicker information. So, again, I think it, it's very important for us to be able to um, review and uh, amend our food safety plan as as uh, critical events happen. You know, whether it's uh, here in our in in our uh, facility or even in our, in our industry, right? We need to kind of gather all that information, digest it, and 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 take a closer look at our at our see if there's any changes or any amendments that we need to make to our food safety or or haccp plan. Um, if if you know if it's a quiet year which uh, unfortunately we haven't had one of those in, in in a few years or our industry um you know we we do have a program in place to ensure that we're reviewing that uh at least um, at least once a year um you know as far as you know that there's a lot of information uh you know on, on these haccp on, on these haccp plans and these food safety plans that we need to make sure that we're communicating uh, to our workforce, you know, properly, right? There's there's no point in uh, developing and changing your food safety plan if, if you're not going to do a good job in communicating that down to the floor level. So wh- one of the things that we'll do, you know, to, to ensure that we're uh, communicating these changes is, you know, we have different formats to be able to do that. One is we'll take uh, the opportunity of 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 huddles right we, we love huddles here at fresh express in the fields we'll call them tailgates and the facility they're more like huddles right so uh very customary uh, at the beginning of the shift to to do some stretching before uh before we start packing our salads in our boxes so what we got to make sure is is as we're doing those stretches you know take that opportunity those those five minutes to to just you know give a a hot topic uh, of discussion to to the team members. Um, you know, from time to time, too, as, as there's bigger uh, issues that come up, we will call in our, our staff members 15 minutes early into the cafeteria, and we'll have a, a formal formal meeting, right? And then kind of as ongoing, just so we continue to make sure that uh, our, our team members are, are on top of our food safety program, as well as all uh, new employees coming into Fresh Express understand um, the requirements, we, we use a training system platform um, that, that we are able to uh, evolve, uh, add, add new training material, and it's all kind of computer-based systems. So, you know, the tracking is all done. We're able to see about who's, who's, uh, who's completing these trainings, who, who's, uh, who, who do we need to catch up on, and just ensure that uh, there is a good training all the way around for, for all of our employees. Um, so, yeah.
3: I would just like to add, if I might, uh, to Herman's comments on this one. And that food safety and any changes are communicated, in addition to what Herman had mentioned, at uh, during top management meetings that the facilities hold um, on a monthly basis, and also um, during department meetings um, within the facilities. Um, food safety is is a high um, value within our company. Um, I like to say that our food safety culture and food safety in general is much more of a value with fresh Express versus a priority because as we all know priorities do change um, so this is this something that's embedded within our DNA is food safety so every opportunity that, is available, um, food safety is is on the agenda, whether it be an operations meeting or a uh, maintenance meeting, uh, food safety is part of that and is expected to be part of that. And I, th- I think that the use of the daily huddles, is, as um, uh, Herman mentioned, um, is, is also a good tool to have just quick meetings to inform employees and give them reminders of what's going on in the day, what issues might have happened, the shift before, or certain things to, to focus on. So I think communications and training is key to success for, um, for, for any kind of uh, food safety program
2: absolutely thank you both for that that great background and uh and Herman. i really like uh, the idea of having a food safety learning moment during those calisthenics that people you know do to prepare Mm -hmm. for for the packing that that's great um so you guys also talk about being among the first companies to create a food safety and quality program for produce crops now can you provide some background on that and how it guides your operations
3: Sure. Um, Fresh Express has a long and rich history uh, going back to probably the late 1920s, but I don't want to bore bore you and the listeners to a history lesson, but starting more recently in 1976, that was the year that Fresh Express uh, recognized that food safety needed to be important and part of Um, the growing company uh, that Fresh Express was becoming. So we were among the first companies that were uh, developing good agricultural practices in the fields and also among the first to develop good manufacturing practices in produce processing facilities, which were just, you know, really starting to come, come, come to be um in 1976 additionally we introduced the first uh packaged ready to eat salad uh this went to food service customers and due to this short shelf life of that product it was suited for food service customers however advancements were made techno- technological advancements were made um, in that uh we were able to extend the shelf life um, by looking at the different films and atmospheres um, contained in there. And so once we were able to extend it more, in 1983, we started shipping salads, ready-to-eat salads to retail customers so that consumers can directly enjoy them.
2: Interesting. And so have you updated any elements of that food safety and quality program over the past few years?
3: Yes, we have. And I think... um, you know, as I think Herman mentioned earlier, we're always in a state of revising and moving forward and looking um, forward and trying to improve our current program. But I think a very good example is our efforts toward the parasite Cyclospora. Mm. Uh, Cyclospora is a an emerging pathogen of concern for food although it's been documented to have been around since probably the late 1990s and started uh, with fresh produce and, uh, I think, raspberries. Um, but recently, more recently, in the last several years, encyclospore, um, I should say, has always been thought of to be um, a, a parasite endemic to southern Mexico, central, and South America and other parts of the world that have more of a subtropical, tropical climate but not in the united states so it was really brought to light um, that you know maybe with the changing climate that uh is uh, that we are experiencing but now cyclospora has been found in fresh produce grown in the united states it's also been found in waters in the united states so we know it's here so based on that, we have taken several steps um, to um, help mitigate it. the problem with cyclospora. And there's many um, that we just don't know what we don't know about cyclospora. And there's a lot of research that's going on, a lot of good research from uh, researchers that are being funded by the Center for Produce Safety, as an example. Um, but we still don't know a lot, but we do know one, one fact in that it for cyclospora chiantinensis, humans are the only known host so we have to follow human activity follow the poo if you will Um, and so our efforts are are guided towards that and so what we've done is uh, in the harvesting areas as an example we've required our harvesting companies that we work with to have hands-free washing faucets We ask that all the harvesters change their gloves every time they come and go back into the field. We actually have our harvesters cut dedicated paths into and out of the fields so that harvesters or other uh, people working in the fields don't have to step over produce, they follow the path. Um, In addition, we ask our harvesting companies to have dedicated restroom monitors uh, during the cyclospora season, and traditionally that cyclospora season is May, May through August. Uh, also, very important is the is the porta potties and where they're being cleaned out, how they're being cleaned out, and and so. Back to my previous comment about the porta potty audits, this is where this is c- comes comes in. So we have our own Fresh Express auditing co- uh, team that does unannounced harvesting audits and porta potty audits to make sure these measures are in place.
2: That's great, yeah, it's really interesting to hear about all the different, you know, control measures, essentially, that that you guys are incorporating in the field and, um, you know, definitely uh, sounds like, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff happening there. So I wanna go back and discuss for a moment, um, back to the topic of traceability. So your video series also discusses an improved production traceability system that uses scanners and radio frequency identification, or RFID, tagging, to provide real-time information about all ra- all raw materials used in Fresh Express products. Now, how does the system keep the lots traceable amid all the processing steps and transfers and mixing? And how does it help ensure food safety and quality through traceback?
4: Yeah, that, that's a that's a very Good question, Adrian. So let me let me try to take a stab at it, and I'll, I'll have a uh, John John add anything to uh, to it if if I if I leave anything behind. us. this is a very complex topic, as 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 you as you mentioned it here, um, you know. So so we have taken you know, and we, and we for a very long time, Fresh Express has had a a, a robust uh, traceability program, but but you're spot on with kind of your question there. You know, one of the biggest problems is that in our facility, because of, you know, the trim lines and and, uh, and and hoppers, you know, we have multiple hoppers uh, across many facilities. And what ends up happening is that, you know, product kind of tends to go everywhere. So we have, we've always had great traceability from the field into our facility and then from our facility to our customers, right? The big question has been, well, what happens in the middle? One of the biggest opportunities that, that we have been coming across is if we're taking a look at at multiple days, uh, multiple shifts, uh, then we have to go back and and try to do a root cause analysis on, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred different ranches, right? Which is really not practical. And then you're also dealing with kind of a delay of of getting back there, right? So we we saw that, um, you know, right as uh, FDA um, kind of announced uh, the the new era of, of food safety, uh, initiative. Uh, what what we did is um, we we took that to heart and and uh, started to implement an, an enhance our traceability program. It's still under development. I, I think we'll be completing that over the next six months or so. But the, the way it's going to work is is today, like we mentioned, all of our raw material coming in is is barcoded, and all the information on uh, you know by scanning that that barcode, you could get all the information of grower, uh, ranch uh, grower, and, and and basically lot. Um, what we do is when that product arrives into our facility, uh, what we're now uh, starting to implement is we are now grabbing those bins and as we're putting them into um, the, the, uh, the, the tipping buckets uh, to go into the trim lines, uh, we are able to scan that specific lot with what line are we putting uh, are, we, are we putting it on and, and processing it on? then kind of the thought process here to eliminate and, and be able to narrow down on where the product is going, what we did is we've worked very hard on, on establishing an RFID tag system. It's like a stainless steel you know coin the size of a coin. Um, we, we figured out a way to how, how to uh, hygienically design, uh, place it in every single dryer basket, as dryer baskets in our industry is the main form of moving product from, from the rom- from the trim deck. Uh, to the dryer basket and into the hopper. And what we do is is kind of taking, embracing that, that same technology of, of think of um, a car in, in the highway as it's passing through the toll booth, right? Or as it's coming into the freeway, you know, you have your, your, your reader um, on, on your windshield and as it's going through the tunnel, you know, there's series of antennas. It's, it's the same methodology that we're doing. So now what we've done is since all of our baskets have RFID tags, uh, we have antennas uh, right after the trim line that's reading and saying, hey, this trim, this, this uh, dryer basket, I'm feeding product into this dryer basket. And then from there, uh, we have the ability to be able to utilize that dryer basket, drop it into the into the hopper uh, that's going to lead into into the packaging line. And then from there, we have an, another antenna that's saying, "Hey, you know, product that came from here went into this basket, got dropped into this hopper, and into the line." Um, li- like I said, you know, we're 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 tying the loose ends right now, uh, trying to put it all together. Uh, but the one thing that you know I'm, I'm very uh, excited uh, to to say the least is the ability to be able to, you know, zero in on our root cause analysis today. You know, taking a step back. That is one of, I feel, one of the biggest issues that our industry has is that um, many times when incidences happen, uh, the root cause is really not defined. You know, we start talking about general general generalization and saying, yeah, you know, it seems like this issue was was related to adjacent land, um, and and it's in this particular area, but we're, we're never able to hone into anything closer to that. So. Um, we're, we're very hopeful. And the objective is that at the end of the day, uh, by, by being able to narrow down on the scope, we're going to be able to do that. It's going to be able to tell us instead of giving us 100 different lots, we're going to be able to say, hey, uh, if, if we know that this bag had a problem, we are going to be able to go directly to the source, know the lines that we used, know the hoppers that we used, and, and ultimately what was the grower, the ranch and the lot that, that was used, right, to be able to help us out. Um, also, you know, we could see down the road, you know, food safety is, is huge, but, you know. Same same concept for quality, right? If we have quality issues, it's going to be able to help us determine exactly what that what what uh, what that raw material in that bag was was used. Um, the the one final step after we 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 tighten all this up, you know, this is another just like our food safety program, you know, with you know how much technology is coming in this is going to be in a, a constant state of evolution um, and, and the next step to do is you know we want to know uh, what we want to do ultimately is in order to have a very sound um, traceability program you want to eliminate as much of the human interaction as possible so what we're looking to do is to get away um from the barcoding system and there are now you know rfid tags and they've been around for a while there's rfid stickers that you could embed into your uh, corrugate bins so once again by the use of antennas you're, you're able to on the field upload the information into the rfid stickers as the product is being harvested being able to even hone in even more by saying hey by the use of geolocation, I harvested this bin from this specific area in the field. And then as it's coming into the facility, you know, what we're aspiring to is to just have a series of antennas um, uh, to be able to uh, to to put these antennas. And as that uh, bin is moving through the different stages, it's being able to pick up and you know exactly one line and we're, we're eliminating the need for uh, a forklift driver to be scanning uh, that specific barcode to that trim line. So, yeah, it's it's been very exciting, and uh, you know, it's 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 uh, been a lot of long hours, but it's it's been very interesting work with all of our engineers and our IT team on 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 this topic.
2: So that's super interesting information, Herman, uh, and, uh, you know, it definitely sounds like you guys are far ahead on the traceability front, and um, you know, it's interesting you, you alluded to root cause analysis, and, you know, I think we know that, especially in, in produce, root cause is more complex and, and difficult just because of all the, um, you know, the various different factors with growing conditions and things like that, so um, it is thought it was interesting you brought that up, and and thanks thanks for... Um, Thanks for, uh, you know, including that in the conversation. But yeah, the traceability initiatives you guys are um, employing in your facilities uh, sounds Super interesting and and obviously very helpful to the operations. So continuing with the theme of processing. So you have a video on the salad bowl kit production process at your Morrow, Georgia plant is really interesting. And there's a lot of information about hygienic design and sanitation in that video. And also the specially designed equipment and higher air pressure in that production area. So I'm also curious about the scope of your environmental monitoring program for that area. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like?
4: Yeah, uh, Adrian. You know, again, the 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 USDA facility in our in our Morro plant in in Georgia has been another um, you know exciting and most recent uh, builds here at Fresh Express. Um, This facility was designed, uh, you know, a few years ago. And it is a USDA-regulated facility. Um, see, here in, 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 in our industry, we, we've been practicing hygienic design um, for for some time already. Uh, we've, we've done many years of, of trying to understand and, and having great mentors teach us um, on hygienic design and how to improve and Making sure that you know we're taking into consideration, um, you know, any any possible niches uh, that that might be growing in, in the facility, as well as uh, how can we make uh, a senator's life uh, easier. Uh, with that being said, you know, we we collected all those elements um, that we've gathered throughout the years, and and uh, we've we've created uh, this facility with with a lot of hygienic design in mind. So our processing facility. Um, we, we have positive air pressure, uh, coming, coming out. So trying to, trying to keep anything from coming in, we've spent a lot of time in, in making sure that we develop this facility with, uh, hygienic zoning in mind. Uh, our equipment, ma- making sure, like I said, that we eliminate, you know, niches, uh, any any rough welds, any of that, you know, what has now become as, as basic stuff, right, getting away from hollow rollers, um, you know, trying to eliminate that, uh, trying, to, trying to make a, a easy release uh, bounce to, to make sure that senators are, are able to get to those hard to reach places at a higher frequency. With that being said, while that is very important, making sure that we do all of that, um, you know, to to try to tackle your question, our environmental program is is a kind of a multifaceted approach, right? And where, you know, on, on a daily basis, after every cleaning, we want to make sure that we are following up with uh, random ATP testing, right? Just to just to give us a good indication and measure the effectiveness of sanitation. Uh, in, init- in, in addition to that, we'll focus a little bit on, on on a weekly basis, a very robust program, not a little bit, on a very robust program, actually. We have a aerobic plague counts that we're, we're doing, obviously, there is a little bit of a delay there since you have to wait about 48 hours to get those results. Uh, but once again, uh, we, we target those APCs and food contact areas and just a little bit harder to reach places to just ensure that our senators are, are getting to those hard to reach places. And then following, uh, you know, as ad- addition to that, um, listeria species is something that we're very concerned in our, in our processing facilities because of the ability for listeria to grow in, in, um, in, in, in cold temperatures, right? So we want to make sure that we we have a very robust program uh, on a weekly basis, trying to capture beginning of the shift. So after, after, after uh, the cleaning process, uh, prior to sanitation, we want to go in there and and look for uh, Listeria. In addition to that, we'll have some, uh, our program calls for mid-shift Um, uh, swabbing as well right after the belt has been running for multiple hours we want to see if there's anything oozing out of um, out of um, rollers or or anything like that that we want to you know just ensure that that we're 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 not growing niches or or harboring or or listeria has found a home in our in our in our facility
3: i'd also like to add that um you know at fresh express you know in not only in in the uh, moral Georgia facility, but also all of our facilities, we really do take a very aggressive approach in, in our environmental monitoring program. And we encourage uh, the folks that are doing the sampling, the swabbing, to really take a search and destroy um, mentality as well as a method, you know, get underneath equipment, um, crawl up to those hard to reach areas and get those niches where um, we need to really uh, dig in and see if there's any kind of biofilm uh, buildup or growth or any other kind of debris that could harbor um, listeria. But also, too, beyond that, um, we do conduct um, yearly uh, swabathons in all of our facilities. And uh, this is a an opportunity for um, the our corporate team uh, to come in to each facility and to do this swabathon and to see if there's anything. Uh, that we can find while we're doing while we're doing the, uh, the the swabbing and making sure that if there's any places that were missed during the routine monitoring that we're hitting those and just just really digging in deep and in addition to that uh, we work with uh, very closely with, in all of our facilities with uh, Joe Stout, whom I think you're familiar with, Adrian. Yes, very, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And comm- his commercial food sanitation team. Uh, we have for, um, gosh, the last six years or so. And really, we've learned a lot from from Joe and his team. And they, uh, they keep pushing us forward with sanitation and hygienic design, um, not only in our facilities, but now also out in the fields um, as there's a a, a huge industry effort to look at hygienic design and sanitation of harvesting equipment. So, he's been a real asset, uh, not not only to us and but the entire industry.
2: Fantastic, thank you both um, for for that info. And you know, it's interesting as uh, as Herman and John, you were talking about um, the environment environmental monitoring program at that plant. It, was actually making me think about um, an article that we have that is coming out in our December-January issue um, by Dr. Jana Hamlet. She's one of our frequent frequent expert authors. She's at the University of Idaho, and um, she wrote she wrote an excellent article for us on successful pathogen environmental monitoring programs and everything you were naming basically was write down her checklist everything that you need to do to have a successful emp so um you know it sounds like you guys are doing all the right stuff and that's fantastic to hear um and my last question for you today is now you currently require your growers to take monthly pre-harvest water and produce samples to ascertain the absence of pathogenic bacteria and i know that you test your water for e coli twice per month now um, my question is, if FDA's proposed revisions to the agricultural water requirements of the FSMA produce safety rule are passed, um, which we know would require a systems-based approach to pre-harvest ag water assessments that would replace the pre-harvest microbial water criteria and testing requirements, now, do you anticipate that these changes would impact your safety and testing procedures? And, you know, if so, how?
3: Yeah, very good question. Um- you know, obviously we haven't seen the the final requirements coming out yet. Mm-hmm. But from what we know, I would say that um, the short answer for us is, is it will not have significant impact. Um, and I say that probably not just for Fresh Express, but other leafy green producers as well, especially those that are operating under the leafy green marketing agreement or lgma requirements because about i guess about three two to three years ago the water requirements that are contained in the leafy green marketing agreement that the growers um, abide by uh, really already uh, already calls for and our own fresh express standard calls for is a water system risk assessment to be completed um, so that's that's our growers uh, and us. We're already familiar uh, with that approach. I think we'll need to uh, find out some more of the details of what's contained in the FDA's final um, uh, regulation on that. But I think right now we're well positioned. Um, unlike the FDA's requirement, um, we still will require testing um, as part of the LGMA standard as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that. Um, you know we're we're very well uh, positioned uh, for that, and and I don't know Herman. I'll turn over. <clears throat> excuse me. I'll turn it over to you for any other comments too, since you're closer to this area than I am.
4: Yeah, yeah. So in, in addition to that, like I said, I have to agree with John's comment there of of you know uh, not having a significant impact with us again. I, I think we've been playing by by a higher set of standards just because we we have to, Adrian. Um but in, in addition to that, for, for many years, as John is explaining, um, you know, interestingly enough already, we 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 kind of get the thought process that FDA is thinking and, and yes, a risk-based approach, a system-based approach is very important. So we've already have been requiring that from our, from our growers at the beginning of the season, at least once, if not after every unusual uh, weather event that might occur. Uh, We we need them and we want them to be looking at their water system and seeing if there's any implication to it. Water is extremely important to the growing process of of leafy greens, as you guys could imagine. Um, So, so with that being said, um, we on, on a, a, a on a yearly basis, seasonally, you know, regardless, not a lot, not not a lot changes in these, but just out of abundance of caution, we want them to make sure that they understand, you know, what is their distribution system looks like, you know, where are they positioning things, um, you know, as far as uh, again adjacent land is, you know, is your reservoirs uh, close to a cliff where. Maybe you've had some some cows lingering around, or, or did you do you have a lot of avian activity in and around that 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 field? Um, again, you know, many times, like for example, when we're in a in, in a growing region, we move away from that growing region because of undesirable weather conditions, right? So that that's when we need those growers and, and our kind of systems-based approach to Really understand, hey, well, what happened during that off season, right? We're, we're always so concentrated about the the today and making sure that we're harvesting, but but what happened in 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 January or February in in Salinas Valley while everybody's focused in Yuma, you know, did that big rain event, um, you know, that had excess runoff water impact any of the fields, right? So th- those are or, or or your water supply. So th- those are the type of um, Um, questions that we've already been implementing, and regardless of of FDA's final requirement that we will ensure we are abide and and, and align to, we don't see, at least for Fresh Express, the the, the E. coli testing, the generic E. coli testing going away anytime soon. I think it's just very important to continue to uh, truly understand your water quality, uh, regardless if you had a problem or not
2: that's great to hear and thanks for the clarification on that question both of you and it's it's good to hear that you're going above and beyond you know at fresh Express and um, again so we're going to include the links to that video series in the show notes for uh, for you all the audience and so you can go ahead and watch that if you haven't seen them already it's an excellent video series I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't seen it and um, John Herman thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your your insights and all this great information about how fresh Fresh Express works and your operations. Really insightful stuff, and we appreciate uh, you being here today.
4: Well, thank you, Adrian, very much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Adrian.
0: Thanks again to John Gerisi and Herman Rios for joining us on the podcast today. And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening. Don't hesitate. Please send us questions or suggestions to podcast at podcast food-safety.com, or post a note on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. We're always happy to get your feedback. And you want to make sure that new and bonus episodes magically appear in your podcast player. All you have to do is click that follow or subscribe button in the player of your choice and presto bingo. While you're there, please throw some stars our way by rating the podcast, especially if you enjoyed it. It only takes a moment and it's good for everyone. All right, that's it for us today. Our next regular episode will post on February 7th. In the meantime, take good care of yourselves and those around you, and we'll talk to you then. Just maniacal laughter. That's a great transition. <laughs> I know, it is better. It is better for me.
2: <laughs> I just want to read a news story and have Stacey just laugh
0: after each one.
2: <laughs> Welcome to Food Safety Matters, the podcast where Stacy loses her (laughs) sh**.